there. I'm your friend Bev, host of Stop Psychoanalyzing Me, a podcast about mental health. I interview experts and ask questions about mental disorders that all of us might be curious about. Come join me. On today's show is Dr. Martin M. Antony. Dr. Antony is a professor in the Department of Psychology at the soon-to-be-renamed Ryerson University in Toronto, Ontario, and he's the Provincial Clinical and Training Lead for the Ontario Structured Psychotherapy Program. He is a Fellow of the Royal Society of Canada and a past president of the Canadian Psychological Association and the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies. He has published 33 books and over 300 scientific articles and chapters in areas related to cognitive behavior therapy and anxiety-related disorders. All right, Dr. Anthony, thank you so much for coming back to our show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Once again, I'm going to jump right into things and ask you about the disorder that we're talking about today, which is obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. And really my first question is, what is OCD? So OCD is a problem where people have obsessions or compulsions. Um, They usually have both, um, but they technically only have to have one or the other. And um, I'll just take a minute to describe what obsessions and compulsions are. Obsessions are recurrent, persistent thoughts, urges, or images Um, that people experience as intrusive or unwanted. In some cases, people find these mental experiences to be threatening or even if they seem dangerous. Um, These thoughts or urges or images create anxiety or distress. Um, People often try to suppress or ignore uh, or neutralize these thoughts without some other sort of action. So they try to to get rid of these thoughts because they don't like them. Um, So an obsession is very different in OCD than the way we use the term obsession in everyday life. In everyday life, we talk about anything that people think about a lot as being an obsession. So, oh, that person's obsessed with money or they're obsessed with um, uh, dancing with the stars or they're obsessed with their ex-girlfriend or their, um, you know, anything that people think about a lot. They may be things that people actually enjoy that we would say, oh, that person's obsessed with uh, technology Um, Those are not obsessions in the OCD sense. In OCD, these are unwanted thoughts, images or urges. They're thoughts that people try to get rid of. So um, some common examples of obsessions would be things like contamination-related concerns. So fears of getting contaminated from from germs, from a disease of some kind, uh, like COVID-19 or HIV or cancer even. Even though we know that people don't get cancer through contamination, people may feel like it's possible. So they'll try to avoid coming into contact with anybody who maybe has come into contact with somebody with cancer. Um, Doubting obsessions. Did I lock the door? Did I... Uh, did I um, turn off my stove? Um, did I make a mistake in my written work? Was that a bump I hit when I was driving or was it a pedestrian? Uh, aggressive obsessions are very common. These would be unwanted thoughts of stabbing a loved one or, or um, pushing a loved one into traffic. Uh, religious obsessions, these would be scary, unwanted thoughts with religious content. Maybe the word Satan popping into my head and having that be very uh, frightening to me. 
Um, and then another common one is sexual obsession. So these would be unwanted thoughts of a sexual nature that, that have sexual content. So it could be unwanted thoughts about sex with a child or with your pet um, or um, with, a, with another family member. Um, <clears throat> this is very different than pedophilia. People with pedophilia have thoughts about sex with children. The difference is in pedophilia, people enjoy having those thoughts. They may purposely bring on the thoughts. They may even act on those thoughts. Um, with OCD, these are unwanted thoughts. People are not fantasizing about sex with children or their dog or whatever. Um, they're, uh, when they get the thought, they're horrified by it. They would never act on it. Uh, so it's a very different uh, kind of experience. Same with the aggressive obsession. Some people do actually harm their children or harm others. That's not an aggressive obsession. An aggressive obsession is an unwanted thought about harming a loved one and sort of a, a nonsensical thought. You'd never act on the thought. It just pops into your head. And when that happens, it's very frightening. So you're saying that obsessions in the OCD sense are these really like unwanted thoughts that might even be disgusting or terrifying, right? Like they're not, they're not thoughts we want to have, right? No, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how would an obsession differ from something like a worry? Like maybe I'm worrying about the same thing over and over again. How does that differ? Worries generally uh, are not in, experienced as intrusive in the same way. Um, so with worries, I might be worried about something happening, but it, it feels like like uh, sort of a part of me, that worry that, that it's um, – uh, it's something that, that I'm anxious about that kind of makes sense. Whereas with OCD, these thoughts are experienced more as intrusive. They pop into people's heads. Um, they don't necessarily make sense in the same way um, uh, to, to people. Um, and they're also frightening. So most people who are worried are maybe not, they're not afraid that the worry itself is, is dangerous. Um, they're worried about the thing that might happen. Whereas somebody with OCD uh, I shouldn't say that people who worry are not afraid. Occasionally they are. But with people with OCD, that's much more typical where people feel like if I allow myself to have a thought about harming a loved one, that means I'm going to do it. Um, uh, or that means I'm a bad person uh, in some way. So we tend to see, see that kind of feature in OCD as well. There are certainly cases where it's difficult to distinguish a, a worry from an obsession. But in, in most cases... Um, uh, those would be the sort of typical features we would look for to make that distinction. And, and also the content. So almost always the things that I mentioned, contamination-related fears, fears of aggressive thoughts, those sorts of things are almost always classified as OCD. Just to give an example, maybe I might worry about the podcast recording process and I might have sort of anxious thoughts about how the podcast is going. Those might be worries but if I'm holding a knife and imagining stabbing someone when, oh my gosh, I would never do that in real life and I'm feeling a lot of fear, that might be an obsession. And so these are, even though these are both types of thoughts or mental content, they're quite different in nature. Yeah. And, and the other thing, you, you could have obsessional uh, thoughts about the podcast as well. So, for example, you might start to have doubts about the whether your microphone's on and you might have to um, keep checking your microphone. And even though you check your microphone, those doubts keep coming back. 
so you have to check it over and over again. So, but it would have more of an OCD like flavor to it with the repetitive checking and not trusting the checking, which, which brings me to the second part, the compulsions. So compulsions in OCD are things that people do in typically in response to an obsession um, to reduce anxiety. So these are what we call safety behaviors are things that people do to protect themselves from harm. So again, you might check your microphone over and over again, but you might wash your hands over and over again. You might, uh, before you send off an email, you might have to check it and recheck it to make sure there are no typos and that you might have to count things over and over again. Uh, again, compulsions in OCD are very different than compulsions in everyday life. When we talk about compulsive behaviors in everyday life, we're often talking about anything that somebody does too frequently. So we might talk about compulsive internet use or compulsive sex or compulsive drinking or compulsive gambling or compulsive eating. None of those are compulsions in the OCD sense. If anything, they are impulsive behaviors. Um, they're things that people enjoy doing. They get a, a bit of a rush out of doing it. It's fun. Um, uh, compulsive behaviors are things that people do because they're afraid if they don't do it, something bad is going to happen. If I don't check, I'm going to lose something important. Um, so compulsions are designed to prevent harm, to reduce anxiety, whereas impulsive behaviors are more things that people do because they, they find them rewarding. They get a rush out of it. They enjoy it. Okay. So maybe just to give an example there, maybe I have a thought, an intrusive thought. Oh my gosh, I'm contaminated. There's germs everywhere. I'm going to get sick. I don't like this thought. It's unwanted. It's intrusive. It's distressing. And then I wash my hands to kind of cleanse myself but maybe the hand washing doesn't feel like enough. So I have to do it multiple times or for a long length of time. And I, I'm probably not enjoying this process. I'm probably kind of sick of it if this is something I'm doing all the time. Yeah. So you might feel some relief from it. But but yeah, it's not something that, that you're doing because you like doing it. You're doing it because if you don't do it, it doesn't feel right uh, or, or it makes you anxious or it feels like harm might come to you. that almost everyone has these unwanted intrusive thoughts from time to time, right? As you were giving examples there, I thought of thoughts from my own life where, yep, I've had a, a strange or odd thought in that way. And I've also thought of times when I have checked the stove a couple extra times, or maybe I've washed my hands a few extra times, um, but I don't have OCD. And so I'm wondering, what is the difference between OCD and OCD tendencies or some OCD-like behaviors. Yeah, so um, you're right that, that depending on the study, anywhere from 80 to 100% of people report intrusive thoughts from time to time and repetitive behaviors are, are very common as well. So what do we look for um, to, uh, to diagnose OCD? So one thing, the you know, one of the differences between people who have intrusive thoughts um, who have OCD and those who don't is people's beliefs about their thoughts. So if I have a, an aggressive thought, a thought about stabbing a loved one, um, I, I would, the, the next thought that would pop into my head after that is, 
oh, that was a that was a strange thought. I would never act on that thought. I don't want to stab my loved one. It's just one of those silly thoughts that popped into my head. Somebody with OCD might react to that thought with, oh no, I just had a thought about stabbing my my spouse. Maybe that means I'm going to do it, or maybe that means I'm a horrible person. Um, so people with OCD, it's it's often their beliefs about their intrusive thoughts that cause problems for them, not the intrusive thoughts. Um, people who have those reactions to their intrusive thoughts will often try to suppress those thoughts or to make them go away, which um, typically makes them more distressing, makes them more upsetting. And in some studies, the evidence is kind of mixed on this, but in some studies, it's been found that the more people try to suppress thoughts, the more they come back, uh, they actually become more frequent. So that attempt to suppress the thought is counterproductive. Um, the other things we look at is the, the intensity and the, the frequency of the thoughts and behaviors. So in OCD, these um, thoughts and behaviors tend to take up a lot of time. So a, a, a rule of thumb is like a, an hour a day. You know, if it's taking up more than an hour a day, that might be a sign that it's it's uh, that it could be OCD possibly. Oh my gosh, that sounds yeah very time consuming for folks with the disorder, and it sounds really distressing. Um, when I think about OCD. I think about the media's depiction of OCD, and often it's around cleaning behaviors. Um, sometimes we hear about checking behaviors. What are some common types of OCD? Well, you just named the two most common. Um, so cleaning and washing and, and, and then checking. Um, but counting is also common. Um, repeating actions is common. So if an intrusive thought that, that's disturbing to me pops into my head while I'm doing something. I'm opening a drawer or turning on a light or walking in a room. I might have to go back and do that thing again without having that thought pop into my head. Um, I might have to repeat certain words or phrases or thoughts or prayers to myself over and over again. Um, I might have to compulsively ask for reassurance um, or, or, um, I might feel like every time I have a negative thought about somebody, I have to phone them up and tell them. And that's the only way I can neutralize that thought. Uh, I might have to have things a particular way. So things may have to be very uh, symmetrical or, or exactly in a certain order, for example, or I may feel very anxious and I may have to go back and check over and over again to make sure that things are um, the way I need them to be. Um, so those are all some examples of compulsions that people uh, engage in. So what really I'm hearing is even though there's all these different ways that the compulsions or the behaviors might manifest, what they all have in common is they help folks neutralize or reduce the anxiety that they experience from the obsessive thought. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think they, they're, they're designed to reduce that distress that people experience. How is OCD treated? <laughs> it sounds pretty tough to treat. Uh, the most common psychological approach is called exposure and ritual prevention or exposure and response prevention. Um, we know that the most powerful way of getting over any fear is by doing the thing that you're afraid of. So if you're afraid of heights, uh, spending more time in high places is going to lead to a reduction in that fear. So the way we apply that to OCD is we have people do the things they're afraid of very gradually. So we might, if people are afraid of contamination, we might have them touch things that they perceive as a little bit contaminated um, and then work up to more and more difficult things. And along with that is the ritual prevention or the response prevention. What that is, is not doing the rituals. 
So helping people to tolerate that feeling of discomfort that they experience when they touch something that's contaminated and then not washing and just sit with that. And what people often find is over the course of half hour, an hour, a couple of hours, sometimes longer, that fear decreases. Uh, and, and what happens is people learn that they don't have to wash their hands or they don't have to check. Um, they don't have to, to count or clean. So that's one piece of the treatment. Uh, another part is um, using cognitive strategies, not so much to challenge the intrusive thoughts, but to challenge people's beliefs about those thoughts. And what do I mean by cognitive strategies? Basically, we have people, first of all, identify their beliefs about the thoughts. So maybe the belief that if I don't check, um, then I will, then something, I'll lose something important. Um, or it may be the thought that if I allow myself to think about harming a loved one, that means I'm going to do it. Um, and then we, rather than assuming those beliefs are facts, a lot of people with OCD will assume that their beliefs, their thoughts are important. Um, we help people to recognize that many of our thoughts are just mental noise. Um, they're not important. Um, and help people to recognize that it's okay to have uh, those intrusive thoughts. In fact, we might even encourage people to bring on, bring on those thoughts purposely uh, to learn that they're not dangerous. Um, so that's another piece of, uh, of the treatment. There's also some evidence supporting uh, mindfulness and acceptance-based treatments, which involve uh, encouraging people to sit with their experiences, their intrusive thoughts, their emotions, and not try to control them, to let them happen, um, which overlaps a lot with some of the strategies I just spoke about, the kind of mental exposure, for example. Um, there's also evidence supporting biological treatments, uh, medications, and particularly medications that act on serotonin, which is a uh, neurotransmitter in the brain. Neurotransmitters are just chemicals that uh, pass information from one nerve cell to the next. And the one that seems to be involved in OCD is serotonin. <clears throat> there are others as well, like glutamate, that may have a role, but serotonin seems to be the main one. In fact, uh, medications that act on serotonin are the ones that are most effective for OCD if people are getting treated with medication. Um, so things like the SSRIs, things like uh, fluvoxamine, which is Luvox, uh, or sertraline, which is um, uh, Zoloft. Uh, there are other biological treatments that are sometimes used for more severe OCD that hasn't responded to anything else. So in rare cases, um, there's uh, uh, different types of brain stimulation that may be effective uh, and even brain surgery that may be effective. But the vast, vast majority of uh, people do not um, get those treatments, but, but those treatments can be effective with, with few side effects, actually. There's a lot of different pathways to treating OCD. That's what I'm hearing. Though I can imagine that for people with OCD who are maybe terrified of these unwanted thoughts, it would probably be really hard for them to go to therapy and talk about them, right? I mean, often the thoughts that go along with OCD are scary, disgusting, confusing, or feel really morally repulsive. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on 
on how can folks talk about their OCD obsessions without feeling shame about having these kinds of thoughts? In therapy, what I try to do is normalize those thoughts to help people recognize that everybody experiences those thoughts. Um, that doesn't mean that people should go around and share sharing these thoughts with everyone they know that they have thoughts about sexually abusing a child or something like that, because for a lot of people out there, they're not going to really understand the difference between OCD and pedophilia, for example. Um, so... Uh, but for a professional who's trained in the treatment of OCD, um, they can make that distinction. They would do the proper assessment to figure out what the problem is. And, and uh, a safe place to talk about these kinds of thoughts is in the context of therapy. Um, so uh, especially therapy with somebody who has expertise in working with OCD and understands those thoughts and understands that those thoughts are normal, that everybody experiences intrusive thoughts. Does OCD tend to co-occur with other disorders? Um, absolutely, yeah. So the, the most common problem that OCD co-occurs with would be depression. So not surprisingly, because OCD really takes over people's lives, they may become depressed because they can't do things that they used to be able to do. Um, it also uh, often co-occurs with other anxiety-based problems. So social anxiety is very common in OCD. Um the uh, uh, hoarding, which actually used to be a subtype of OCD, is, n is not anymore, but it does often co-occur with OCD. So, uh, and then other um, problems, um, what we call BFRBs, body-focused repetitive behaviors, things like hair pulling and skin picking can sometimes occur with, with OCD as well. So there's really a range of different problems that are often common in people who have OCD. Eating disorders would be another area. And with something like those body-focused, repetitive behaviors, I'm wondering, would that same kind of exposure and response prevention therapy also work for that, where you help folks kind of not engage in those behaviors the best they can? Yeah. So the, the treatment's called habit reversal. What we do is we teach people first to monitor those behaviors to be a lot of times it's automatic. People are kind of pulling their hair out while they're watching TV or driving and, and they're kind of bored and they don't even notice they're doing it. So we want people to monitor those behaviors and really understand when they're doing it. Um, we then give people some sort of competing behavior. So, uh, for example, we might, uh, if people are pulling their hair out, uh, we might give them a one of those squeezy stress balls to play with instead. So when they, they get the urge to... Uh, to pull their hair out, they squeeze on that stress ball instead. Um, we might try to identify what are the triggers. If it's boredom, we might encourage people to do something else when they're bored. If it's anxiety, we might teach them some anxiety management skills. Um, so there's a number of different strategies that are used that overlap with the treatment of OCD uh, a, a little bit, but, but there are also some different things that we do with those problems as well. Okay. Wow. I didn't realize there were so many different ways that OCD can be treated. And my final question for you, Dr. Anthony, is how can we support a loved one with OCD? Well, the, I'd say the best thing is to be empathic, to try to understand things from that person's perspective, to not uh, pressure them to make changes, to not um, uh, uh, put them down or insult them or be critical. Um, uh, this is a real problem. It has a strong genetic component. Um, the, the urge to do these things is quite overwhelming. Um, and the more you pressure people not to do something that, that they find that they're ambivalent about changing, the more they dig their heels in. Um, so we know that the best way to get someone to quit smoking or exercise more or uh, 
drink less is not to nag them to do it. The more you nag them to do it, the less they're going to want to do it. So um, instead, if you can engage in supportive discussions um, uh, and if the person is resistant, that's not a sign to argue with them. That's a sign to maybe not talk to them at that moment or change the subject or just reflect back to them what you're hearing from them um, rather than trying to change their minds about something. Uh, and when there is an opening, if people are open to talking about things and uh, to to off, make offers then, offer to help them to find a therapist or suggesting a good self-help book or something like that. Um, uh, and then not accommodating is another thing. So one of the issues in OCD <clears throat> is that family members, they don't want their loved one to be distressed. So they do things to help the person to feel more comfortable. So if your loved one is afraid of hitting pedestrians every time they hit a bump, they have to go back and check. You might do all the driving um, or you might buy lots of soap so they can wash. Um, we encourage families members to not accommodate in that way. So you don't want to pressure people to change, but you also don't want to do things that encourage them to engage in their obsessions and compulsions. Wow. I actually never considered that. You know, I, I think we're used to just sort of blindly supporting our loved ones, but that's such a good point that sometimes actually we can maintain the OCD by giving reassurance or by helping our loved one check. So I think that actually makes a lot of sense. And that's a great point. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Anthony, for being on the podcast once again. I learned a lot from you again. So thank you for your time today. My pleasure. All the best. Um, and good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to you today about the episode that we all just heard. I'm so interested in hearing your thoughts. Yeah, of course. And I would love for you first to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, for sure. Um, so hi, my name is Jonathan. Uh I'm an all-around artist. I currently work in the film industry uh, in post-production, but I also do a ton of other artistic endeavors. Uh, I'm an improviser in the community. Uh, I do theater. Uh, I do graphic design. I do all kinds, jack-of-all-trades kind of uh, thing. Uh, my hobbies include all that. Uh, and yeah, and I also am somebody who suffers from obsessive-compulsive disorder. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and being willing to talk about OCD. And really, my first question for you is, what were your thoughts on the episode that we just heard with Dr. Martin Anthony? I liked it. It was uh, in terms of giving a nice, basic overview for um, as many people to understand as possible. I think it was a good stepping stone to, uh, you know, move forward to get to know more about the disorder. Uh, I mean, it's such a complex and uh, difficult disorder. Like it, it, it just a basic overview of it doesn't even give the disorder justice and what it really is, but you got to start somewhere. And I think as a starting point, it's, it's, it's a very good way for people to, to at least get a, a basic idea of what, you know, encapsulates the disorder as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would be so helpful for us if you're open for us to really hear about what OCD has been like for you and 
maybe if if you're willing just to share a little bit about your journey with OCD. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I do want to start off by saying that um, uh, OCD manifests itself differently in everybody who has it. So my journey and what I've gone through is very, very different than somebody else who also suffers from OCD. I mean, there's so many themes, like as discussed on the episode, there's so many themes related uh, to OCD and every single person uh, has a different, you know, OCD theme that they deal with. And even two people, like I can meet somebody who has the exact same theme as me, who's going through the exact same thing. And it's very different. Their experience is very different with it too. So I just want to make that very clear that I'm not talking for like every single person who suffers from it. It's very much, it's like each person has their own experience. Uh, but at the base, we all deal with, as it said on the episode, intrusive thoughts and compulsions, unless you have pure OCD, which is purely just uh, the intrusive thoughts. But uh, so I guess I could start with uh, myself. Um, so I have contamination OCD. That's uh, my main theme right now. Uh, and it's specifically related to blood and semen. Uh, and my journey started when I was 11 years old. Uh, that's when it first manifested itself. Um and it wasn't it wasn't related to blood and semen back then. Uh, what happened was I was in elementary school and we were just sitting around uh, reading a story for English class. And I happened to the story just happened to be uh, some girl was in a plane crash and she got lost in the jungles of Africa. And while she was trying to make her way uh, to find civilization, I guess uh, some bug planted eggs in her and they like hatch like this was part of the story. And something about that story just clicked in my head and just opened up the floodgates because that's where my OCD started. Still contamination OCD, but specifically related to bugs eggs. I thought I was, I had like severe intrusive thoughts that bugs eggs were everywhere and I had to constantly wash my hands and not touch anything because I thought like that was going to happen to me. Um, and eventually that kind of grew into just, I thought like everything was poisoned. And so I was washing my hands like tremendously back when I was a kid in elementary school, uh, going to the bathroom a lot uh, be- just to wash my hands. And uh, it got to the point that my hands were all like cracked and raw, like the skin was like it, w- it was really bad. And eventually I had to stop doing that. Um, but for a long time, it was all just I thought everything was dangerous to touch and I didn't want to touch anything. Uh, and along the same at the same time, I was also dealing with uh, moral scrupulosity uh, OCD, where I thought every little bad thing I did, I was going to go to hell. Uh, this was back when I was like, you know, I was a kid and religion was still a big part of my life. So it was like every little thing, even something stupid, like, oh, my God, I accidentally bumped into someone. Am I going to go to hell for that? And I found myself like confessing just every little thing I did uh, in hope like to get that reassurance seeking uh, compulsion, just, just make sure, you know? Uh, But as I grew older, uh, I started to deal with those better, but then eventually the contamination related to, uh, you know, sexual organs and semen and blood started to creep up. And that sort of stuck around throughout high school, but also at the same time, this whole time up to 19 years old, I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what I had. uh, And I've, you know, being part of a lot of OCD communities on social media, uh, you find out that OCD takes a long time. Like people who suffer from OCD take a long time to get help, mainly because of its representation in media and what people think about it. They think, well, I'm not organized and I'm not super neat. So I obviously don't have that. Uh, Because, like, even though I was dealing with contamination OCD where I was disinfecting everything, 
I still was not a very neat or organized person like at all. <laughs> so there's one myth completely busted right there. Um, but so it took a long time. I had no idea what was happening. So throughout high school, like I just thought I was crazy. Right. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Nobody else is going uh, nothing and nobody else is going through this. And obviously I didn't tell anyone because, you know, in that period of time, you don't understand what's happening to you. You don't know how people are going to react. And, all, and the few people I did tell it to, like the reactions were very, very negative. So I was like, OK, no, thank you. But it wasn't until I went to college and started to meet other people who were very similar to me that I realized what it was. And then reading up on it, I'm like, this makes sense. But it wasn't until I saw a doctor who professionally diagnosed me that I was like, oh, I have this is what I have. So then it became clear. And there's this sense of relief too, when you finally find out what something is, because you're like, now I know what to do. I know what it is. I give it a name. I know what to do. Uh, so at 19, I finally went to see a psychologist because now I knew what I had and I knew what I had to do. And that worked wonders for me, did exposure response uh, prevention therapy at the time. And I was basically good for years and years. Uh, I had it under control. I still had incidents happen, which is totally normal. But for the most part, I was able to live my life relatively normally from 19 to 26. And then around 26 years old, I started to relapse again. And then obviously due to the pandemic, uh, I relapsed even harder. So up to today, I'm vaccinating my psychologist, trying to go through ERP. It's much harder and much more difficult than it was when I was 19, because now OCD has kind of come back with a vengeance. Like it comes back in a more complex and uh, tougher way. Like it's learned what all your tactics are and now it's fighting back even harder. So it's been a little harder journey, but I'm still uh, doing it. Still doing the ERP I need to do. And uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's my, my journey as a whole. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack there, but thank there you is. so much for sharing <laughs> your story. And thank you. I think the first thing I was really struck by was just this idea that you knew something was wrong, yeah. but you didn't feel safe telling anyone. Mm -hmm. And what was that like for you? Like, was that really isolating? Like, how did that feel growing up? It, uh, it, it was because I, I remember having moments of, um, for example, uh, when I was in high school, there was a whole thing where it's like, oh my God, uh, my school bag, I don't want to touch it because it's contaminated. But then there was like a friend's school bag I didn't want to touch because I thought his school bag was contaminated. And every time he came near me, there was always that moment of like, I'm trying to avoid touching your school bag. And it got to the point that he'd be like, are you scared of me? Like, well, what's going on? You scared of me? And it's like, how do I, how do I say like, no, 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 I'm not scared of you. I just don't want to touch your school bag. But like, how do you say that? Like, especially in high school, when you're already dealing with puberty and all the confusion of just growing up and trying to figure yourself out, how, how do you express that to somebody? It's it, and especially mental disorders was not on our radar as a whole. Like I, I didn't learn about them. Uh, I didn't have the nurse come to our class and like tell us about them. So it, I had almost like no knowledge. The only knowledge I basically had about mental disorders is what we see on the media, which we all know is not the right information. Uh, so it, it, yeah, it was a very confusing and difficult time. And, uh, my parents obviously knew because, you know, I could talk to my, like, I could tell my parents anything, but even them, like they didn't know what was going on with me. I didn't know. So it was a very confusing and incredibly frustrating time, especially 
when I'm when I was home in my private time, uh, a lot of outbursts, like angry outbursts would happen because and it's normal because when some you don't understand something or you're trying to express something, but you you're, you you just can't find the words to do it and you just don't understand it. Uh, it gets really, really frustrating. And when you you're just trying to understand what's happening to you and why and you don't know how to fix it, it gets really frustrating and you can have outbursts and uh, angry outbursts were a normal part of my life at that time. Uh, uh, in my private life. So that's that it wasn't fun uh, in though, like in those moments for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it sounds incredibly frustrating, right? To be dealing yeah. with these thoughts and feeling like you can't really tell anyone about them. Yeah. And- Others might not understand, even if you did tell them. And it sounds like you did have some negative experiences yeah. when you shared it. Do you mind speaking on those? Yeah, it was it was very small. Like in high school, um, it, I opened up to somebody, but their reaction, but it, it was the wrong person to open up with because this was very much a person who was like, oh, no, nobody else has problems but me. Oh no, you think your problems are bad? Oh, what are you talking about? What that's crazy. Oh, you just give it, you know, like kind of that kind of reaction. And I was like, okay, like why I'm not going to even bother uh, Mm -hmm. talking about this to anyone at all. And it's funny, like back to the frustration thing, even now, like, even though I know what I have, I know what I have to do to overcome it. It's still super frustrating. And like when I'm at my worst, when the OCD really like takes control and I'm at my worst, it gets really frustrating. And I still have angry outbursts because there, there's a part of you that's like, can this just leave me alone? Like mm-hmm. just go away, stop. Let me just live my life. Like just stop, <laughs> you know, like. Absolutely. Gets, yeah. Do you notice times when maybe there are lots of intrusions and then maybe the next day there aren't as many intrusions? Like, do you notice the thoughts kind of like waxing and waning at all? Or is it, does it feel really consistent all the time? No, they do wax and wane. They, depending on the day, like if I'm in a really like good, confident mood, uh, they tend to not be as strong. If I'm really distracted doing something, my mind is focused on that thing. So I find myself not thinking about that as much. Uh, it, a lot of times it's, if I'm high anxiety, obviously, cause it is an anxiety disorder. Uh, that's when they're the hardest to fight. Uh, and also during the pandemic, what made it so hard was being, you know, in isolation and having nothing to do and suffering a bit of cabin fever, just being home. So like, it's just me and my thoughts all mm-hmm. the time. So they tend to persist because I have nothing to distract me to, 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 you know, move my focus to something else and, uh, or anything. So, and even doing exposure response therapy in isolation is almost impossible, especially since my exposure deals with actually going out and going to places and doing things, which now with everything closing, kind of hard to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. You know, after Dr. Martin Anthony spoke on, on the episode, I was thinking about what it might be like to have these intrusive thoughts. And so please correct me if I'm wrong, but is it almost like a nagging thought in your mind? Like, wash your hands, wash your hands, you're yeah. dirty. Like, is that what it feels like? Or if it, you could kind of put a, <laughs> put a video camera or a microphone in your head, oh. like, what would we hear? 
<laughs> um, oh boy. I, I've come up with like over the years, so many analogies to help yeah uh, people understand this there's there's the analogy of like it's like a light bulb that won't turn off okay so like there's the light bulb that's on and you keep trying to like flick the switch but it won't turn off no matter what you do so you keep trying to flick the switch you remove the light bulb like and it's still on kind of thing you know just like in your face uh it's like uh an itch you can't scratch so like you have an itch and you're scratching and scratching but it like it won't go away no matter how much you scratch uh it's uh one of the best analogies i heard was it's a the tv analogy that i always loved it's essentially imagine you have a TV on in the background and you're doing something. Now the TV, you still hear it while you're doing it. And depending on the volume of the TV is how strong the intrusive thought is. So let's say you're trying to listen to music or do work, but this TV is like blasting at full volume, like, but you can't turn it off. You cannot, you absolutely cannot turn it off. There's no way to do it. And the volumes is based on like how much anxiety and how much and how like strong the intrusive thought is at the moment. So no matter what you're doing, this TV is just blasting in the background constantly like in your mind. And that's what the intrusive thoughts are like, like no matter what I'm living in my life, these thoughts are in my head. They're just in my head, just bickering away. Like, hello, hello, hello. And they're trying to make me anxious and trying to make me scared. And they do, they succeed. They do make me because they like, that's why I'm so attached to these thoughts is because of, you know, that, that emotion that's attached to it, the fear and the anxiety and the disgust that all comes with it. It's so, it's so strong. So they, they just persist. So it's, it's like, you're just trying to live your life and doing everything, but at the same time, there's just a little voice that's constantly telling you, uh, just constantly talking in your ear at the same exact time as you're trying to do everything else. Yeah. yeah. That's, that sounds so frustrating, Jonathan. Oh, and yeah. you know, you're saying you can't really turn it off, but I do know there's treatments that help. And so yeah, how do treatments help or, or, or what can you do when it, the volume gets really loud? Like, is there anything you can do yeah. in those moments. So the most effective, uh, as was talked about in the episode is exposure response prevention therapy, where you're purposely exposing yourself to the things that trigger the OCD and the intrusive thoughts and sitting in it for as long as possible until the anxiety <sighs> like drops to a manageable uh, place. Uh, but in the moment, uh, the, basically the best I can do, uh, especially because, because exposure response prevention is purposeful. Like you are purposefully doing it. Like I'm planning to do it, but obviously triggers can happen at any moment uh, and unplanned and the unplanned ones are obviously the hardest ones to fight. So uh, things I've learned uh, like CBT things I've learned are like, you have to accept the thought, just accept it, accept that it's a thought and just let it live in your head. Cause the more you try to fight the thought, the more you try to not think about the thought, the more, the stronger it's going to get. And you have to, think of like, accept the thought, but with no emotion, either no fear or disgust. And the minute and not engage with it, the minute I engage with an intrusive thought. So I start doing like reassurance seeking, or I, I start trying to throw logic at it or trying to be like, Oh yeah, it, that's a stupid, but like, no, no, of course, like shut up. Like the minute I start to engage with it, it's, it's, it's harder to fight. So it's, I, I literally just have to like accept the thought as a thought and just mm-hmm. let it live there, which sometimes it's easy. And sometimes it's one of the hardest things in the world because it's a really like strong trigger, but that's progress is not linear. So I'm going to, I'm going to make some backtrack sometimes, you know, like sometimes I'll be like, I could fight this. And sometimes I'm like, 
compulsion after compulsion just happening because the anxiety is too high mm-hmm. uh, and not, and I can't manage it, but yeah. And it sounds like when you engage in the compulsion, the anxiety does go down, right? Yeah. So it's called a temporary relief. So that that voice in the head, that's like, blah, 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 giving you those things that make you feel anxious. It wants you to do the compulsion. So you do it and then it shuts up. But the thing is, every time you do it, it just makes it stronger without you real, like you think you're like fine, but then that voice comes back a little stronger. It's called like feeding the beast. Every time you give, every time you do a compulsion, you're basically feeding the beast and making it grow and making it bigger. And the more you resist the compulsions, you're starving the beast. Um, so it, it's very counterintuitive because you're like, well, if I do it, I feel good. But the only way to beat this is by, not doing the thing that I really want to do right now. <laughs> so, and you cut out for just the tiniest second there, but I oh, think no. you were saying, no, it's all good. I think you, you were just saying, if you do the thing, it feels yes. good for yeah. just a little while, but it comes back stronger. Yeah. Essentially it comes back much stronger and you got to starve the beast essentially. Just not, just not give it the compulsions that it wants to do. No, no matter how hard you want to do that compulsion, it's very much like you got to separate the OCD is separate from you. You are not the, I am not my OCD. So my OCD, it's like having a separate person in my head and I have to separate it. The OCD is a lying piece of shit bully who's trying to control my life. And I am, I am me and I have to get control of it. Uh, there's another analogy I always use. It's driving in a car and your OCD is a passenger with you and I'm driving my car and my car, I'm in control of my life essentially. And I'm driving my car. And when I'm doing really well, the OCD is in the trunk locked up. I can't hear him. He's locked up in the trunk, but when I start, the OCD starts to get control. He comes in the back seat. I can hear him a little louder. Uh, then he become comes in the passenger seat, and now he's backseat driving, and he's trying to control. And when the OCD really has control, he's got the hands on the wheels, and I'm fighting. Right. So that's an analogy I like to use to to like describe like basically the progress that I make. So I know my psychologist will be like, oh yeah, the OCD is in the back seat right now, like not as bad or something. But I'm trying to get him back in the trunk, locked up, and not bothering me anymore. Okay. And you said the way you do that is through preventing yourself from engaging in the compulsion. So preventing yourself from doing the behaviors that OCD wants you to do. Yeah. So in my case, that would be uh, if I feel something's contaminated, one, do not disinfect it. Uh, Two, do not avoid it. And three, actually try to like touch it and sit in it for as long as I possibly can. Uh, Depending what it is, of course, my psychologist does understand there's like certain limits of what you can and can do. Like she's not expecting me to go like, so a big thing I have is that when I see condoms on the ground, that's like my 100% worst thing to see, but she's also not going to expect me to go find used condoms and start picking them up and putting them in my pocket either. Uh, But it's getting to a place that if I do see one, it's not a problem, you know? Okay. So before what would happen if you saw a used condom on the ground? I mean, this still happens because I haven't quite uh, gotten to where I want to be, but essentially I'll see one and immediately I feel contaminated. So even if I didn't touch it, I could just walk by it and immediately like that, let's say that spot, let's say I pass by it with my right leg, my whole right foot, right leg is like feels contaminated and I don't want anything to touch it. And I start to get really distressed that now I've got like semen on me and I'm like, man, I need to disinfect. I need to disinfect it. 
immediately. Uh, and it's hard when I can't because then I'm going through the day and then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm touching things. And it's a spread. Like it's like, it's spreading. So if I touch something, I'm like, Oh, that's also contaminated. And if something touches that, that's also contaminated. And if something touches that, that's also contaminated. And it, it and it, yeah. And it, it's very, very distressing. Like I, um, depending on how well I am in my life, uh, either it'll just I'll be able to be like, okay. And just, I'll be able to keep my composure and continue my day until I have to disinfect. But when I'm doing really bad, like I'll just, it's a, almost like a full on meltdown. Like it, it's so overwhelming. Like the, the anxiety is just so overwhelming that I, I can't even like my body doesn't even know what to do with it. So I wow. kind of lose myself. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm, I'm glad to say I'm, I've passed that level. Like I'm not, right now in my life i'm not there anymore but it's still like it's still not a fun experience mm -hmm. sounds like you have such amazing awareness but even yeah. still with all that awareness it doesn't take the anxiety away in those no, moments because that's the thing like everybody who has ocd we know the thoughts are irrational we know that what we're thinking and what's bothering us is completely like not true and like i said it's completely 100 irrational we're completely aware of that uh but the problem is it feels very real no matter how irrational or how stupid or how nonsensical it is and we're aware of that it feels real and that's that's the big distinction like it like i feel like i'm in danger like i feel like a tiger like the sensation like a tiger is chasing me that's that's how it feels and i it feels real. And when something feels that real, you and you and OCD is called the doubting disease. Right. So you start to doubt um, you start to doubt yourself, too, because you're like, I know it's irrational. But then you start to doubt that where you're like, but is it irrational? Maybe this is maybe I'm supposed to be scared of this thing. Maybe that's the reason I am scared of this thing is because it is something that is dangerous. So I'll keep thinking it's dangerous, even though that's like I have to push the other way. Be like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. <laughs> Stop listening. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that sounds so tough to deal with. Yeah. You mentioned doing exposure and response prevention. So would that yes. just be, for example, if you felt contaminated in the morning, you know, not disinfecting, is that what that would be? Like, is that how you would treat it? That is essentially part of it. Yeah. Um, so something I do have to do, uh, I have to create a hierarchy of, uh, you know, a hierarchy, an OCD hierarchy, which is essentially putting in order um, things that do like the intrusive thoughts and things that do give me uh, anxiety. Uh, but like in the sense of at the bottom is the ones that give me the least amount of anxiety. And at the top is like, the ones that give me the most amount of anxiety and the best way to do ERP is to tackle that hierarchy, starting with the least and making your way to the worst. You can't, you can't just like, if you're playing a video game and you're level one, you can't just go tackle the level 100 boss immediately. Right. You got to work your way up in levels. 
Uh, so I'll start with the stuff that's, um, you know, at the bottom uh, that gives me like a 70, they called it suds. So it gives me a 70 suds rating or 60 suds rating. Cause then I tackle those and they come down to a 20 suds rating eventually, but everything else becomes less, uh, less as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of it involves if I feel contaminated, uh, let's say I feel some clothes were contaminated instead of putting them in the wash, uh, I'll wear them for the next bunch of days, uh, until that feeling of contamination possibly goes away. Um, I won't, yeah, I won't, I'll try to prevent disinfecting as much as possible. I will, uh, touch things that I feel are contaminated. Uh, I talked about the spreading before, so I'll start with things that are like a level four spread. So it's like something, uh, uh, there was the initial touch that touched this and then that touched that. And then that touched that. So I'll start with that because it's like the most obvious of like, obviously this is not contaminated kind of thing. So, uh, I'll start with those and then make my way, uh, through the different, um, levels. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of that. Like, uh, I was going through a period I was uh, going through car washes a lot. Cause I kept feeling my car was disinfected. So stopping, starting off ERP would be like, okay, uh, I'm only going to use a car wash once a month. And then I'm not going to use a car wash when I feel like it's contaminated. Uh, and yeah, like I said, uh, it, there's a lot. So this is the funny part, um, especially with contamination is that you kind of have to go to extremes and, it's like, I like to be clean. I want to take a shower. Like this is a bit of a, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I like to take a shower regularly, but with OCD, especially when I'm fighting, taking a shower will kind of cancel out what I'm doing because I'm cleaning. Right. So sometimes it has happened when fighting the OCD, I want to make it very clear when fighting the OCD, uh, not just in my normal daily life, I've gone maybe a week or two without taking a shower because I'm like, this is important and I have to fight this contamination. Right. Um, so you have to go to extremes when fighting, uh, the OCD, because it, that's the only way you're going to be able to fight it. No, that makes so much sense to me. And, you know, good for you for resisting that. Like that's yeah. so, sounds like such hard work. Yeah. And, and then, so there's those obvious ones, but there's also, um, not so obvious compulsions. So like double checking is a compulsion, which you don't even realize you're doing half the time. Uh, so that's one that I find is like one of the hardest to fight. It's literally like the ERP to that is just, you know, don't, don't go double check, just sit. So like embrace, um, cause the reason you want to double check is because you're like, I'm not certain about what I say and you want hundred percent certainty. So it's like embrace, uh, uncertainty and embrace the discomfort. And so it's like, don't go back to double check anymore. You're going to keep double checking. Uh, so that's been a really hard one to, that's been a hard compulsion basically to resist as a whole. Uh, I found the disinfecting so much easier to resist than the double checking. One more thing that I, I thought to ask you about was, <laughs> just around our use of the term OCD in society, right? I'm sure you've heard people say, I, I know where, I know where this is going. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard people say, Oh, I'm so OCD. I like to have everything organized or I'm so OCD. Look how clean oh I am. My God. What's that like for you? It's the absolute worst. Uh, I okay. hate, hate, hate it. And I'm not the only one every single person in the OCD community absolutely detests people who use OCD as an adjective. All it does when you do that is you're basically showing off that you're ignorant, uninformed, and 
uh, I, I'm willing to give it a pass if you actually are ignorant to OCD and uninformed about it. But there are people who are and we've called people out. The, the community as a whole has called, you know, has called uh, like various social media people out on it. And the worst part is when they get called out on it and we give them the information and they still continue using it, then you're just being malicious and stupid. Uh, OCD is not an adjective because when you say I'm so OCD, try saying that like stretch it out. You're basically saying I'm so obsessive compulsive disorder, which makes no sense grammatically. Uh, you cannot be a disorder. You have a disorder. Uh, and it, continuing this idea that OCD means again, it means being neat, being organized, uh, like people who are neat freaks who love to clean. They're like, it's my OCD. It's like, that's not what it is at all. Like I, again, I have contamination OCD and my room is a complete mess. <laughs> like, And I'm very, actually one thing they don't talk about, especially people with contamination OCD, we actually have trouble cleaning half the time because sometimes I don't want to clean my room because there's certain parts of my room I don't want to touch precisely because it's contaminated and I don't want to have to deal with it. So a lot of times people with contamination OCD actually can have very dirty spaces because they don't want to touch a lot of spaces. So those spaces don't end up actually getting cleaned at all. Uh, so just because we use this and like, that's the thing. Neat freaks love to clean. They like it. They get a joy out of getting things clean. When I'm disinfecting, I'm getting no joy out of it. It's a very distressing situation. I don't want to be disinfecting. I don't want to be cleaning whatever isn't clean. And 10 times out of 10, what I am cleaning is probably the cleanest thing in the world already to begin with, because I've already probably disinfected it five times already. So it's when, so it's very hurtful to just OCD as a whole, because again, neat freaks, people who are organized, they do that because that's how they like things to be. People with OCD, we do it, but we don't like it. We absolutely hate doing it. So a very big distinction to make. That's such an excellent distinction, Jonathan, and probably something that most people don't even think about. You know, I've had situations where I felt like I need to disinfect and I'm literally doing it in the bathroom, some like a public bathroom and people are walking in and watching me like clean my shoe or something. And it's like, who would want to do this? <laughs> who would want to be like cleaning their shoe in a public restroom in front of everyone? And everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, uh, you know, just uh, cleaning my shoe. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So, but I, I feel like I have to sometimes. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why they're called compulsions, right? Oh, you feel yeah. so compelled to do them. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like I learned so much about um, OCD, just hearing from you. And I, yeah. I hope our listeners did too. Just to round out our episode here, I'm wondering, do you have any messages you want to leave anyone with? Or if there's sort of a, a nugget of wisdom that you'd like yeah. people to carry into their lives, what might that be? Uh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm guess I'm going to uh, be specific to OCD, I guess, uh, or just mental disorders at all. Like just inform yourselves. Uh, don't just start talking about disorders like you know what they are when you don't uh please inform yourselves there's there's enough resources out there that you can learn so much and you can inform yourselves on everything that's going on and please 
um, especially in the artistic world, when it comes to representation of let's any disorder, but specifically for me, OCD, please leave it to the people who actually know what they're talking about uh, to do the representation. Cause there's nothing I hate more than an art project that's using my mental illness as their theme. And they have no idea what they're doing and it really pisses me off. So please just be informed. Uh, and yeah. And you know, like, listen, <laughs> just listen when somebody's talking about the disorder. I've had that many times where I'll open up about it and people will be uh, either dismissive because they, they funnily enough, don't believe me that I have it for whatever reason, because it's become such a trend that people are like, Oh my God, I'm so CD. So when I say I actually have it, they think I'm just one of those people or it's the whole like, Oh yeah. Like I like to clean things too. And it's like, Oh Jesus. And I want to make it clear. Like, Everybody gets intrusive thoughts. Intrusive thoughts happen to every single person in the world. Uh, the big difference is that people without OCD, they're able to handle their intrusive thoughts in a much better way. And sure, they might go through a period of time where it's a little more difficult, but their intrusive thoughts don't stick and linger and cause as much anxiety as people with OCD who it does to them. So, yeah, just listen, inform yourselves. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a, such great advice. Yeah, that was a, that was much longer than I was expecting to say, but yeah. <laughs> well, listening to this podcast, if you made it this far in the episode is probably a great place to start. So yeah. thank you so much, Jonathan, for sharing. For sure. I wish My, you all the best. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. And uh, good luck with the podcast and everything as always. Thank you. Take care. Bye. And that was today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was hosted by Bev Catherine and produced by Yuri Hladio. Podcasting isn't free. Consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com. You'll get early access to episodes and other exclusive content. You can find us on patreon.com slash stop psychoanalyzing me. Until next time.